0: When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We begin this morning with a question, and the question is simply this. Why are we here? Why are we here? It's true, isn't it, that a lot of people uh, do a lot of different things. In fact, a lot of the things that we do, we do just because maybe our parents did them. Or maybe because a respected mentor did them that way. Or maybe it's just what everyone else is doing. Or maybe, well... We've always done it that way, and we can't even remember why we started doing it to begin with. The last several weeks, we've been talking about worship, and we've been saying that worship is fundamental to the Christian life. It's what we're created to do. It's what humanity's very first parents failed to do, when they decided to disregard God's instructions and do things their own way. It's what each of us, from the moment we're born, it's what we're unable to do properly. And yet, it's also what Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father to enable us to do once again. It's what erupted in the heavens that, that very first Christmas. It's what those of us who have placed our, our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ, who have had our sins forgiven, who have been made right with God, who have been brought into his family and have an inheritance that's reserved in heaven and who have a living hope. It's what we're called to do every day. Worship is the answer to the why. It's what the wise men came to do when they went to Jerusalem. When they got there, they said, did you catch this in verse two? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Worship is what we're supposed to do. It's also what God wants from us, right? A couple of weeks back, we talked about that. We read in the Gospel of John how Jesus has this interaction with a woman by a well in the Samaritan town of Sychar. He said, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is seeking Seeking worship from people. Worship, not just any worship, but worship that is in spirit. Worship that originates on the inside of a person. It's a spiritual thing. It stems from a heart that loves and desires to honor God. You know, external actions, they don't count for all that much if they're not motivated by a heart of worship. Worship. And God is also seeking people who will worship him in truth. Truth matters. It's it's important that we worship what is real, not what we have imagined. That we worship God for who he is, not the God that we have concocted in our minds. And we need to worship also not only understanding God, but understanding ourselves. Because our worship is not going to be the kind of worship that is genuine, that is acceptable to God if we don't understand who we are. He doesn't accept worship from people that have come up with some other ideas about uh, who he is or what they are. He doesn't accept worship from people that uh, have an idea of who he is that is inconsistent with his character. No, he's made himself known through his word and he desires for people to worship him from what they learn about him in his word. Worship. Worship. In spirit and in truth. It's what God wants from us. But what does that look like? If we're going to take worship seriously, if we're going to consider whether or not our worship is acceptable to Him and actually do what God wants us to do, because if we're not doing what God actually wants us to do and we're, our worship isn't acceptable, well, we might as well just go do something else go to the mall finish up that Christmas shopping. We need to know what worship really looks like, right? What does it look like? Do I have to close my eyes? Do I have to clap? Do I raise my hands? Do I sit? Do I stand? Do I have to sing? Do I have to wear a certain type of clothing? What does authentic worship look like? This morning, I want to key in on the fundamental posture of worship and consider how it informs the internal worship that God desires from our hearts. After a brief detour with King Herod, the wise men went on their way. Verse 9 said, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What did they do when they saw Jesus? Well, they immediately fell down and worshipped him. This was the moment that they had been anticipating for so long. This was the one they had traveled so far to see. This wasn't just any child. This was the king. And this was the long-awaited one, the promised one who had been foretold all the way back in the beginning. God said he was going to bring someone from Mary's descendants that was going to crush the serpent's head. Remember that? And what do they do when they found him? They fall down. They worship him. The word for worship here that is used in Matthew two eleven it's the Greek word proskuneo. It's a word that's used all over the place in the New Testament, and it's translated worship. Now, this is important. So often, when we think of worship, we think of singing. But the word here and its Hebrew counterpart, they don't refer to singing. It's not about singing. If you grab a couple of lexicons, uh, of dictionaries, you'll find that these words are all about what a subject does in the presence of their master, their king, their lord. Here's how William Danker's Greek-English lexicon defines proskuneo. He says, to express in attitude or gesture one's complete dependence on or submission to a high-authority figure. That's what worship looks like. That's what these wise men did when they saw Jesus. They fell down and they worshiped. They fell down and they expressed their complete dependence and their submission to their king. That's what subjects do in the place of their king. That's what they do. They recognize that their lives, their ability to, to live, to survive, to thrive, it depends Completely on their king. Their lives are, are literally in his hands. And so they bow themselves in humility before him. And they also recognize he's the highest authority in the land. And so they bow themselves in submission. They offer their service. They yield to his orders, his desires, his will for their lives. In the case of these wise men... This was their king, but not just any king. This was the king of all kings. This wasn't just the master of the house. This wasn't just the lord of the land. This was the one above whom there is no higher authority, not just in the world, in the universe. And so they worshipped. They fell down and worshipped. My friends, that's worship. That's what the posture of the human heart is supposed to look like when it moves the mouth to sing, or the hands to clap, or the body to obey. Friends, we don't sing to entertain. <laughs> we're not court jesters here to make sure that God is having a good time. No, we're His subjects is the master we are his servants he's the boss we are the employees he's the captain and we're the crew he's our king how do we worship our king we bow we bow and let's not misunderstand we're not talking about physically getting down on our knees every single time we do something that we want to call worship though I think we could probably stand to do that some more No, we're talking about a posture of the heart. That's what should be happening on the inside. That's what should be behind everything that we do with our hands or our feet or our lips. We bow. We worship as our hearts and our spirits. They recognize our complete dependence and submission on Christ, our King. That's exactly what Paul's talking about in Romans 12, verse 1. He doesn't use the word proskuneo there, but what he's talking about describes the same type of worship that God is looking for. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Notice the dependence there. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That is, in view of God's mercies, in view of the fact that he has been merciful to you. Everything that you are, everything that you have, well, that's not your own doing. You didn't didn't wish yourself into existence. And you're not responsible for creating this world with all of its beauty, its complexity, its resources that enable us to have good things like maybe your your house or your clothes or your car or the, the food you enjoy or the technology that you rely on. And then if you placed your trust in Jesus, you realize you didn't earn any brownie points to fix your relationship with God, to get on his good side, to get that ticket into heaven. No, everything that you are, everything that you have is from God. That's what James tells us. Verse 16 of chapter 1, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Every gift, every good gift, every perfect gift, it's from above. And the transformational work that Christ has done in those who have confessed their sin and looked to the cross, well, that's a testimony to the rest of the world that God intends to bring even more good in the days ahead. It's a kind of, we're a kind of first fruits. All creation looks at what God's doing in the lives of these Christians and they goes, wow, God is good and there's more to come. What's next? What James and Paul are both making very clear here is that we're completely dependent on God. He's been merciful to us. He's the the father of lights, the creator of the stars in the sky. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of everything. You can't properly worship him unless you recognize that. You aren't truly worshiping unless your heart is bowed down in humble dependence on him is that where our hearts are at when we gather together in this room to worship are we are we humbly acknowledging that every good and perfect gift even our next breath the next beat of our hearts all of that relies on Christ the King like Colossians tells us he holds all things together he keeps it going If that's not the case, then we need to fix that. The best way to do that is to get our heads in his book on a regular basis. We need to fill our minds with his truth so that, like a telescope, it brings into view his his spectacular, marvelous glory. And like a mirror, it, it reveals to us who we really are, totally dependent on him. I want to challenge us to make time in God's Word a part of each day this coming year, and especially the days when we're going to gather together here to spend time in God's Word that it might penetrate our hearts and remind them of our dependence on God, that our hearts might be humble before Him as we sing that very first note. Even as we sit down for the very first time, even as we stand up to greet one another, our hearts are already there. They're already prepared because we have spent time in God's Word reminding ourselves of our dependence on our King. Genuine worship, the kind of worship that God desires, is about hearts bowed down in a posture of complete dependence on Him but it's also about hearts bowed down in submission to him. Look at Romans 12, one again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Submission and dependence, they go hand in hand. Acknowledging our dependence Relying on your king, that leads us to submit ourselves to him. They lead us to uh, to offer all we are to him in worship. And if everything that we are and everything that we have is from him, if they're the result of his mercies that have been showered down upon us, then don't we owe him everything? We do, don't we? Isaac Watts was right when he wrote, Love so amazing. So divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's what Paul is saying to us here when he appeals for us to present our bodies as these living sacrifices. He's to- talking about total and utter submission. You know, in the Old Testament, when an animal was placed up on the altar to represent that atoning payment for the sins of Israel, it didn't say, you know what, um, uh, I'll give you 15 minutes, but then I got to go hang out with my animal buddies over here. Neither did, did Isaac, when Abraham was laying him down on that altar, did he think that, you know what, okay, well, this is cool, we'll do this for a little while, and then we'll go back home and we'll dip some Oreos in milk and we'll have a good time. No, this was it. This was the end. This is total commitment, total submission. The term sacrifice that's used here, it's used to refer to the Holocaust. The Holocaust in which everything was placed on the altar and is totally consumed. That's what Paul's getting at when he says, present your bodies here. He's talking about more More than just your skin and your bones, he's talking about everything that we are, everything that we have, every moment of our lives. Everything is to be consumed in an act of sacrificial, submissive worship, and that means more than just filling a seat here on Sundays. It means more than just uh, throwing up some prayer requests every once in a while. It means more than just occasionally opening up God's word. All should be sacrificed to him. Everything. If If we're to respond to God's mercies properly, that means our thought life. That means our speech, our actions, what we look at what we do with our time, how we spend, how we invest, how we share our money, how we treat other people, how we approach our jobs, the way we honor our commitments and keep our word. And we don't do it begrudgingly, right? Because if you did so, it wouldn't be worship either. It wouldn't be coming from a heart that is, that is right. We don't, we don't say, well... I I guess I have to return a favor. It's not like, God, uh, you gave me a Christmas present. Oh, goody. Now I guess I have to go shopping and find one for you. No, it's not that. This is is willingly and joyfully offering all we are in worship to the king. Paul said in Philippians 3, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. He's saying, I want to lose it all. My old way of life, the things I used to get so stuck up on and prideful about, the things I once thought that mattered. I'm going to give it all up because I've found something that's worth far, far more. It's like a treasure you discover hidden in a field. You cover it up real quick, and then you go sell everything that you have so you can buy that field and uncover the treasure, and it's yours. Or if you were a jeweler and you just loved fine pearls and in a back alley somewhere you found the pearl of pearls. You couldn't measure its wealth. And so you didn't even give it a second thought to how much, how much it cost, what it was going to take to get it. No, you went out and you sold everything that you have. You got a second mortgage on your home because it's worth more than anything else. It's more than worth it. That's what God's goodness is like. It's worth is so great that we willingly, joyfully respond by offering all we are to him as a living sacrifice. These wise men, they gladly humbly willingly fell down in worship they weren't asked to do it they just it's just what they did they saw the king they were in his presence so they fell down and they worshiped as an expression of what was going on in their hearts and they presented him gifts gold frankincense myrrh in light of who the king was that was before them these gifts were nothing it's a small, small little token of our appreciation to be with you here in your presence, our king. This, this sacrifice was minuscule compared to the surpassing worth of the child. What gifts are we willing to lay before the king? Are our hearts bowed down in total submission? Are they so moved that we gladly, gladly submit our thoughts, our our words, our actions, as expressions of worship to our king? Or are there some things that are just too precious, too sacred, too valuable? I don't think I can offer this to Christ, my king. I want to challenge you in just a moment and, and really every morning of every day in this next year to not only acknowledge our complete dependence on God but to prayerfully submit ourselves to him each day as living sacrifices to say Lord you are my king all I am all I have is yours. Would you do that with me now? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads and do that now. Our King has come, He's come near. He walked this earth. He lived the life that we were supposed to live and didn't. He died the death that we absolutely should have died on our behalf. He defeated sin, cleared the way for us to be made right with God. He's seated right now at the right hand of God, making intercession on our behalf. He's the father of lights from whom every good gift we have has come. Would you bow your heart low, acknowledging your utter dependence on him? Would you bow your heart in humble submission, saying, Lord, you are my king. All I am, all I have is yours. Let's worship our king.